Hey everyone, Dashi Han Miller, and we are here. We, as in me and James and anybody else that's watching at the moment. Uh, let's see. I have a question for you. What is the most traditional thing that you, as a practitioner of the ninja's arts in the 21st century, what is the most traditional thing that you can do today to still live up to the principles and concepts uh, that were passed down millennia ago? All right? That's your question. You think about that. I'll be right back. So, the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kuden Radio, real training for real people in a real world. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, today, Monday, April 25th, 2022, as this is going to, uh, to air, well, we're live on this for those who are uh, watching the video version of it. If you are listening in on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you happen to be, right? Um, who knows when it is in my future, right? Anyway. Okay. So, uh, for those of you tuning in a little bit late, I pose, I uh, posed a question before, uh, we officially fired things up. And that question is, what is the most traditional thing that you can do today as a practitioner of the ninja's arts in the 21st century to honor the legacy and to actually be training correctly or operating correctly or acting correctly, right? Um, based on the principles and concepts uh, of Nijitsu, right? What is the most traditional thing, right? Because traditional. Traditional is another one of those words like enlightenment and what we talked about last week, James. Natural. Natural, right? Um, all these freaking words that are being bandied around, right? Phrases like um, uses energy against him and go with the flow and all these things that are just thrown around in the martial arts. And... Um, yeah, I don't know. Some folks are doing it, right? But um, it hasn't been my experience that uh, that the <laughs> not even half, right, are are getting this stuff. Sorry, I have a I picked up a head cold from my wife, and things are drying out, so I'm trying to stay hydrated and all that wonderful stuff. You know, the new 21st century health thing. Stay hydrated. That's not the answer. The answer is not. Stay hydrated. <laughs> right? So traditional. I hear this all the time, right? I only want to do things traditionally. I'm gonna I'm I'm honoring the tradition. I'm yeah, whatever, right? Um as a matter of fact, uh, some of you guys may have heard this before. Um I I have a book. Not not a shameless plug, I'm just mentioning this thing because I don't I don't even think we're promoting it at the moment. But um wrote this book a bunch of years ago, a bunch of years ago. Um, it's called The Karate Myth. Uh, we even tried an alternate title called like The Science of Self-Defense or something like that. But The Karate Myth, the premise of The Karate Myth is just because somebody has a black belt around their waist uh, or earned a black belt in some this or that martial art or whatever, uh, doesn't mean that they're qualified to teach you how to save your ass on the street. Doesn't. 
Okay. No more that a college diploma, high school diploma, whatever guarantees that you'll be able to get a job. It just doesn't. Right. So, um, uh, but w- within the, you know, it's in the book. I mean, it's, it's all this stuff, right? It's just, I wrote it for the everyday person really geared towards self-defense, right? Geared towards self-defense. And so they're, they're not brand specific. They're not tied to anything, uh, whatever. It's just straight on principles and concepts, problem areas, solutions, those kind of things. Right. And so I had, uh, had somebody email me saying that, you know, really interested in the book. Um, and they even bought it, right? They read it. This is great. Have you ever thought about rewriting this for Nijitsu practitioners? Okay, so those of you who are watching the video, besides my bright pink, it might be coming across orange on the screen or whatever, because I thought I'd wake you damn people up, right? Uh, I, yes, I do have a light switch on this. And it, it flips on and off. Anyway, um, so uh, can I, have I thought about rewriting it for the Nijutsu crowd? And I'm like, uh, it was written for the Nijutsu crowd. It was written for anybody that is serious about self-protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, uh, you know, ha- what he was really alluding to was, you know, can you can you throw the Japanese names back in? Can you use the Japanese terminology? Can you throw the word Bujinkan or Nidatsu around or whatever? Right. And I said, it's th- this is the same stuff. It's it's just all that all that stuff was stripped away. And he goes, well, yeah, I know, but I, I don't want this. I, I just, I'm just going to do it the traditional way. I'm just going to stick to the traditional stuff. I always wish people like that well. And I think I know what he's getting to, right? He wants to do it like they do in Japan and, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, it, it is what it is, right? But here's another question. For any of you who have actually ever seen a fight, been in one, Maybe it wasn't a fight. Maybe it was a full-blown attack. Because to me, an attack, a self-defense situation, and a fight are two completely different things. While the same skills may be used in both, the, 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 the intent, right, of the person who's in there is different, right? In a fight, you've got two, maybe more people, right, going at it, but they're they're fighting, right? They're, it's a contest. They're trying, they're both trying to win the same prize. And I don't care if it's physical, emotional, verbal, whatever. I don't care if it's between two guys that are duking it out in the bar on Saturday night. I don't care if it's, you know, uh, spouses who are trying to like, you know, argue over who gets the new car. Cause now it's in the budget. I don't care. Right. I don't care. But a self-defense situation, you got two or more people involved in the situation but at least one of those people didn't didn't volunteer to be there. They're not trying to win anything other than their safety, their freedom to wake up on this side of the grass tomorrow, that kind of stuff. Right. So um, and th- this this is not not being taught in Japan. This is not not a part of the traditional stuff. Right. But when was the last time you saw a fight where one or either one or both, either, whatever, of the combatants, right, of the two people that are going at it, throwing a classical ski or, hell, a front stomp kick. 
I've seen once or one or two, two in my, my, uh, not just my training career, but law enforcement, that kind of thing. And I don't just mean a cop kicking in a door or whatever. I mean, somebody like pinned up against a, uh, one was up a church and one was up, a, one was up against a tree. One was up against a car, right. And just trying to shove somebody off of them kind of thing. Right. But when was the last time you saw somebody punch like that? When was the last time you saw somebody take up a posture? Okay. And it's not that we're not going to do things like that or even do things that way, right? But here, here's the thing. Um, in the 21st century, people dress differently. Well, at least where I live anyway. I mean, maybe where you live, everybody's still wearing kimono and get the sandals and, and whatever. But uh, I've been to Japan uh dozens of times and um less than special occasions they're not dressed that way either right so they dress differently uh the way punches and and attacks are thrown are different right uh the weapons the primary weapon types not that not the types not the categories but the, the 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 most common weapons being used uh in an attack or in a fight situation or whatever right uh personal combat whatever you want to call it right they don't look anything like they did in 13th century Japan or 16th century Japan or whatever. They, they don't, right? As a matter of fact, they're completely opposite. Excuse me. And some aren't being used at all. If they are, um, it was a vice presidential hunting accident. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Sorry about that. Anyway, so, um, so, <clears throat> here are these folks that are trying to do things traditionally rather than learn from right the traditional models and spend a little bit more time with teachers who can share some historical tidbits right that point to this stuff that I'm talking about right so we have to understand that Nijutsu was not just when people, when people talk about Nijutsu being a counterculture, right, to the samurai elite or that kind of thing, right? They don't mean that they don't mean. Well, some of them do. Some of them were did some bullshit research. Anyway, right? It's not like poor farmers doing their thing, and then these wealthy samurai families uh, doing their thing, right? It's not like that. What we mean by counterculture is there's two different ideologies and perspectives about what should be going on um, day to day and moving forward and how to produce results and all that. Right. So you've got one group that's fixated on name, class, uh, you know, everything that's been going on since the past. Right. To now, um, you know, it should stay the same. Okay. And the ninja had that kind of stuff as well. It just, some was the same, some looked different, right? But then you had this other group that believed that, like, new stuff, right? I mean, obviously, use your head, right? New stuff, anything that, that was brought in, right? Keep an open mind because if it can allow us to produce results quicker, more efficiently, more effectively, that kind of thing, then why wouldn't you do that? Right. Why wouldn't you do that now? Maybe this mindset from the ninja families was what it was because they were outnumbered, because there were this it was a small, smaller group. Right. And so 
by by its very nature, right? Somebody has to be more creative. You have to figure out a way to neutralize the odds against you so that you know, you're not you're not just fate doesn't have you trapped in a situation where since the other guy's bigger, faster, better armed, the laws on his side, whatever, um then you automatically have to roll over, go belly up and you know, play into servitude, right? So that was an option, but obviously it wasn't an option for our cultural ancestors, right? So uh, so what we're looking at is this, is, is this different viewpoint, right? But here's some historical, well, uh, there, there are a couple of videos. I'm sure there's more than a couple because there are, what, millions of videos on YouTube at this point. And if you throw in Vimeo and some of these other video directories that are not really as popular, popular you're, you're going to find them. But there's been his, some historians that have done some videos on, let's say, 11 things about the samurai that you didn't want to know and probably still don't. Right. Um you know, um, or if you do, if you do actually do some really good research, right? Um, <laughs> to the people who don't do the research, when they bring up the word traditional, and I throw out a couple of, well, whether I throw out facts or not, right? One of the questions I ask is, just how traditional do you want to be, right? It's kind of like people who fantasize about living back in, uh, you know, pre-Renaissance, Dark Ages, you know, old Europe, that kind of thing. Right. Running around wearing armor and playing the knights and whatever. Right. Um, you know, don't forget that they uh, had things called piss pots for a reason. Right. You know, the pot to piss in, uh, whatever. Right. All these kind of things. There were, there were reasons for that. Right. No, no plumbing, no sanitation. Um no deodorant or, you know, perfumes and colognes were originally designed, right, to cover up the stank, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Wealthy people could afford to dress in layers, right, to cover things up some more and all that, right? But did you really, do you really, 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 really want to live that back there? Or are you just like fantasizing because you're watching Game of Thrones or whatever movie happens to be on, right? So everybody looks like they're, you know, always bathed, always well-kept, makeup, the whole deal, except the reality was maybe bathe once a week, maybe, on the outside, okay? And that was royalty, right? So, but what about lice? What about diseases? What about, you know, all the things that we've been vaccinated against that, you know, um, or we have sanitation systems and all those kind of things in place, so we don't have to worry about them, at least where most of us live, right? Malaria and dysentery and all kinds of, I almost said shit, which would have been a funny pun, but, well, let's pretend I didn't say that part either. Anyway, <laughs> anyway right? So I think when people throw around this friggin' term, right, traditional, uh, again, like with many other things, right, they don't have a freaking clue as to what they're talking about. Okay. Um, because we're not looking at, um, we're not looking at preserving, uh, how's me since they used this term once preserving museum pieces. We're not looking at that, right? We're looking at making sure that the art 
is applicable and appropriate for the times. Otherwise, it doesn't serve us, right? It's not a museum piece, right? It's it, it can still be a cultural treasure, but not be stuck in the past. I mean, when was the last time uh, anybody that's watching used a manual can opener? Okay. I did uh, three weeks ago because I have two of them at the dojo because I'm not running a restaurant. So I'm not setting up an electric can opener and not everything that I buy these days because uh, I often have my lunches there. Right. Uh, has a pool tab on it. Right. So uh, when was the last time any of us used a rotary dial telephone? When was the last time any of us, you get the idea, right? When was the last time any of us popped an eight track tape? Only the old people know what that is, right? Okay. And know the glory of them slipping off the reel and getting all screwed up and, and then anyway. And for the young bucks who think they know what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about a cassette tape. Anyway, right? So when was the last time, right? When was the last time we used a wooden rake as opposed to one with a metal end? When was the last time any of us freaking, you know, what, it picked something, right? So we live in different times, right? I have never in my in my lifetime, right? And I was attacked and bullied and, and beaten on as a kid. I was a police officer, military dealt with plenty of people throwing punches and kicks and attacking with weapons and, and stuff like that. Right. At no time in my entire career outside of the dojo, has anybody ever thrown a classical ski at me ever, 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 ever. What have they thrown? Jabs, uppercuts, right crosses, backhands, uh, all kinds of things. Right. Uh, let's see. I've had people throw crescent kicks, roundhouse kicks, uh, front snap kicks, side kicks, whatever, right? Um, but never, right? Nobody's ever thrown a shirtican at me outside of the dojo either, right? I've had people throw bottles, rocks. Uh, somebody throw their baby at me once. That was cool. Not, okay? And it wasn't to save the baby's life. It was so they could, they and their crackhead boyfriend could run away. And they were hoping that that would stall us so that they, could get farther away. That's pretty messed up, huh? Anyway, right? So um, those the, we we have to look at the considerations, right? So before I move into this thing, right? Well, actually, let, let's let's just get this out of the way. Let's just there's there's an elephant in the room, and here's what it is, right? My answer to the question I posed at the very beginning of the episode: What is the most traditional thing? that I can do as a practitioner of Nijutsu in the 21st century, especially in the 21st century Western world. What is the most traditional thing that I can do? Most traditional thing I can do is not run around in kimono or whatever old style dress was, uh, uh, putting all of my ducks in the whole you know, classical uh, attacks and classical weaponry and all that stuff, right? The most traditional thing that I can do is look at the principles and concepts, look at the look at the technology that was built into things like the Ninja no Hachimal, right? These these traditional eight gates, or uh, if if you you know that's still foreign or alien to you, how about the these um, 
16 area, the 18 areas of training in the uh, Togakure school, right? And look at that as being the technology of the day and updating that to the 21st century, right? I mean, while it would be great, I mean, it'd be an awesome skill to be able to read, you know, doing the whole tenmon, right? Uh, meteorology, right? Being able to read uh, the atmosphere, read the cloud formations, pick up those kind of things from nature about weather patterns and all that, right? Um, or as a ninja in the 21st century, I might just bring up my damn weather app. Maybe. Okay. Now, would both be ideal? Absolutely. Right. Just like, uh, you know, I, I could use a, a compass and a map, right? Especially a topographical map, right? For those of you who don't know what that is, uh, military and all these kind of things, there's only five colors, whatever, right? There's, uh, declination diagrams and there's, uh, elevation, uh, lines on them and whatever, right? So, um, great for, uh, land navigation, those kind of things, right? So don't really need a shadow stick method or some of these other things, but what if I don't have the map and the compass and I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I need to determine direction? Well, there's that, right? Same thing with time of day and all that, right? So I'm not saying that we don't need it. I'm not saying that we it wouldn't serve us, right? But we have a whole bunch of different things going on today, right? So, you know, ancient Japan, the uh, areas of training in the Togakure school, right, included like archery, right? Why? Well, it was a long distance weapon, okay? It was a, it was your, your, uh, your, uh, projectile weapon. Okay. Great. Lots of people still in, in, engaged in archery today. But what's the, what's the most common primary, uh, projectile weapon that I'm probably going to have to deal with or might find in my possession, whether I'm carrying it or I disarm somebody else, right? A firearm of some sort, right? So, to only want to do the traditional stuff really overlooks a lot, right? Uh, uh, James knows this. When we talk about stealth training, right, uh, one of the statements that I make to students before we even move into the training is that you need to be much more skilled in today's world, right, as a, as a ninja practitioner in the 21st century than your ninja ancestors did, right? Why is that, James? I'm going to make James sign on. <laughs> Why do you have to be more skilled today than you did, uh, than you might have been in, let's say, 15th, 16th century Japan? Because of, <clears throat> of all the security technology that exists today, like CCTV and infrared and cameras and all that kind Bionic of Bionic ears and all kinds of stuff, detectors. right? So, yeah. What they have to worry about back in the day? Insects, dogs. Um, we'll see. He threw insects in. Check that out, right? How many people have been training with your stealth stuff to not get cicadas and uh, crickets to stop chirping? Ooh. Yeah. How many of you practiced? Uh, if you own a cat, right? Or if you if you have a cat as a part of your family, right? Because some people don't like the whole ownership idea. Makes their cat a slave. Um, 
No, I, we've had cats, right? You're the slave. So, <laughs> right. But how many of you uh, have worked your stealth stuff and uh, practice sneaking up on your cat? It's very, very difficult because cats don't, don't just have whiskers here. They have whiskers here and they have whiskers on the backs of their legs near their paw. Right. It's to catch air motion, air, air movement uh, when they're tracking prey. Right. When they're going after uh, insects or uh, mice or whatever. Right. Um, when they move and they scurry, it moves the air just enough to create that little thing. Right. So it's not just about sound. Right. Same thing with dogs. Whatever. It's not just about those things. OK. But, yeah, absolutely. In the in the old days. Right. You, that's what you had to worry about. Right. Um, being able to and reverse engineering things as well. Right. Knowing that. Uh, if I'm moving along or if I'm in a certain position, that animals, especially birds, tend to fly away from, I mean, they, they, they will take off and fly, right, when it comes to um, noise, right? If they're disturbed or they feel threatened or whatever, they take off and they fly, but they fly away from that noise, right? Well, okay, that's fine, but they also fly away from civilization, right? There's all kinds of cool stuff, right? Takamatsu Sensei taught Hatsumi Sensei this stuff. Some of us got it in, in passing. Uh, other times we didn't get it in passing. We were just told, hey, go get books on this particular topic and do your own research, right? But anyway, the point here is in, right, um, the, the least traditional thing that I could do because Nijitsu has always updated itself, right? So what I was going to uh, say before I let the elephant, uh, you know, pointed to the elephant in the room was, one of these things, and I may have mentioned this in a previous uh, episode, but one of these things that um, that really shook me and woke me up way back in the day. I, I don't even think I was a Shodan yet. And uh, we were working on, uh, what were we working on? We were working on Kosei no Kamae, right? Working on Kosei. And the topic came up about how our modern version of Kosei, yep, our modern version of Kosei, right, actually, back in the day, actually looked more like a traditional karate stance where the rear hand was in a fist and palm up at the hip and the rear hand was, or the front hand was out in front um, in a fist, um, much like a lot of you are, are used to seeing, uh, well, you might have seen one version of Bobi no Kamae. Right, that we have in our in our mod three curriculum, it's a kotoryu uh, kamai, right? Um, so it's very much like that because of armor, because of uh, the kimono or the the weight or whatever you might have been wearing or whatever, right? So it looked very very different from what ninety nine point eight percent of people have been introduced to via Hatsumi uh, Sensei's book. This happy little book, right? Uh, as far as I know, this was the first book that was introduced to the Western world about Nijutsu um, in English. Let's see. Let's see if there's a... Publication. Now, this was published in 81. Yeah, 81, right? So, um, 
Maybe the second, because I believe that the book by Stephen Hayes, let's see, The Ninja and Their Secret Fighting Art was out before that one. So, but by Hatsumi Sete, right? Uh, first book, right? So, uh, but either way, between those two books, um, and I think they were both published by Tuttle. Nope, this was unique publications. So Ninja and the Secret Fighting Art by Stephen Hayes uh, was uh, by Tuttle, who had a uh, branch in Japan, and that's where he was living in training when he wrote the manuscript. So, uh, but this Kosei no Komai, right, that most people have been introduced to, uh, is a modern version based on a change in clothing, a change in armor, all kinds of things, right? So there's this constant updating of things, right? Uh, and Hatsumi Sensei has talked about this over the years that not only, excuse me, not only are you updating um, what you're doing or the art constantly updates itself. I mean, it's every, every generation's grandmaster's job to make sure the art is applicable to today's world, right? But throughout the years, Hatsumi Sensei would, uh, during different classes, we'd be working on different topics, right? And he would point out a movie or two or an actor like Jackie Chan or whatever, right? And he would point out that you need to watch things like that, right? And it's not that you're going to do exactly the same things, right? Although he did look at a lot of the Jackie Chan stunts, right? And if you know anything about Jackie Chan stunts, he often got broken or injured or whatever doing those things so they could get one take that would stick in the movie. But he would often point to things like that, right? That gives you training ideas and, and whatnot, right? But he would also make references to uh, certain movies, certain uh, tactics or, or uh, fight scenarios or whatever as guidance for things. Um, I remember one time we were working on the Shinobi Zue, right? It's, one, it's these uh, hollowed canes that have hidden weapons in, right? And one uh, that we're working on uh, had the, the long chain with the weight, right? Sometimes it has a, a hook, but uh, it's this weight that you shoot out of this thing and it goes out and wraps around his leg. You pull him off balance and you go in and beat the shit out of him um, or, you know, something, some facsimile thereof. Right. <laughs> anyway, there's James chuckling anyway. So, um, but people had a hard time with it. Right. And what, so what they kept doing was throwing the thing out and ah, crap, miss, and bring it back and do it again. And he'd stop and go, no, 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 no. Okay. It's important to practice through mistakes because it's not a mistake right that's what happened right it's it's important to practice when this kind of thing happens right so um so that you don't get stuck so that your brain doesn't freeze right uh shameless plug this is one of the one of the mental things we're going to be working on during uh spring camp that's coming up right may 13th 14th and 15th right we're working on all these head things so in the midst of all of this taijutsu and weapons work and all that stuff this is the this is the model right by which we can look at what the hell we're doing in our head right and the number of people that get trapped by mistakes or things didn't work out exactly the way they wanted and then they and it doesn't have you don't have to freeze up for more than a microsecond for things to all just turn against you and and not be going your way right so uh anyway so um 
there's all these all these things to train with. But one of the biggest things is, you know, what are you most likely to go up against today? Because, again, going back historically, right, for the people that want traditional, right? All right, let's go back and look at traditional, right? Why were the ninja tactics what they were in the day? Well, either that was the technology, as in, like, not a whole lot of either. And, and there was a lot that's not on the lists, right? Like uh, outdoor living, right? Outdoor survival and living, right? Well, these people lived in the freaking mountains. Didn't have running water, right? They didn't have a, a gas stove or an electric stove or even lighters, right, to get a fire going and all that. So how do you light, uh, how do you keep fires going and all that um, when you just had a major rainstorm, right? Or it's monsoon season uh, in Asia and things that used to be houses are now floating down rivers, that used to be roadways, right? So there, there's this idea, right, where where you're you're open to new technology, right, to be able to do things, get things, make things happen, right? Uh, studying the human mind and how people do things and personality types and whatnot. So uh, you know you might gravitate towards spiritual traditions or or uh, mind science study, like uh, you know Buddhism as it was introduced into into Japan or whatever, right? So you're looking at these things, looking at understanding how people um, allow superstitions, all right, to guide their lives or you know, the, the fears and all that. So how can we use those things, right? But also the technology of the day is based on the technology that's going to be used against you, right? So I better know how to defend myself against a samurai sword because if I find myself in a situation against a swordsman, chances are that's what he's going to have, right? Um, Whether firearms training. Yeah, of course, right? They were everything from the, uh, the handheld mini cannons, right? Just these little one shot kind of things that, you know, there's the, 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 um, the, the jury's still out, so to speak, on how far those projectiles actually flew because, right, they're still building the technology just like, uh, you know, the year that we trained with uh, the Dachi and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and the focus was on Kamakura era combat, right? And looking at, you know, the, the reality of the Dachi and how it wasn't as sharp as a katana and why that matched the, the armor of this, you know, woven grass and lacquered wood or bamboo kind of stuff that was popular at the time, right? And how all that had to change when metallurgy caught up and they were actually able to produce this thing that everybody is just in awe of, right? This katana, right? Um, armor had to change because the weapons changed. But on the ninja side, the technology for dealing with these things, right? The shuko, hand claws, and all that kind of stuff, right? Matched what was likely to come at you. Right. So. Here's here's the thing. Right. If we're going to stick to tradition, are we going to stick to tradition like a samurai minded kind of individual? Right. Where that stuff. Right. Is that's perfect for today because because if they made it and it, they survived with it, then we should be using it and surviving with it. 
Or are we going to look at tradition and traditional like a ninja and go, okay, they saw a need for things based on principles and concepts, based on attack uh, scenarios and whatnot. So what does that look like today? Right. The, the katana was the sidearm, right? The shoto or wakazashi was the backup, not even a tanto, right? Longer sword, right? So anybody that's teaching knife defense classically and using a tanto, I, I, I yell bullshit because that's, that was not it, right? The, the tanto was, that was a, that was a very, very recent in the grand scheme of things, um, invention and not for the purposes that most people think. So, um, but what does that look like today? If the katana was the sidearm, well, shit, what do I have to worry about today? Well, somebody like me carrying a clip knife or, you know, a, a handgun, right? Well, I know, sensei, but if we can make those things illegal, then we wouldn't have to worry about them. Really? Talk to my Australian friends about that. Right? Um, and besides that, right? Look at any time in history when things have been made illegal. I don't care if it was alcohol, drugs, whatever. And then look at the statistics and tell me if things actually went down, stayed the same, or went up. Because anybody that talks that ideology is talking out of their ass. Or they're listening to sound bites. And... They want, they, what's that called? Confirmation bias. Didn't we do a whole episode on confirmation bias at some point? Right? Right? They're only looking at things that, that validate what, the, what it is they want to know. It's kind of like the traditional thing. Right? They're only looking at things that validate what they want things to be like or what they, I'm going to use a strong word here, what they fantasize things to be like. Right? So, um, but the sidearm, right? I mean, criminals are going to have them anyway, right? So where are they? Okay. Here's an interesting thing, right? Handguns are carried on the hip, sometimes in a cross-draw position, like in a shoulder holster or cross-draw in the, in, the, in the waistband, sometimes straight up and down, very often across. So the draw pattern's the same. Okay. Most often, okay, especially when it comes to thugs, right? They'll steal or buy a gun, may or may not buy the ammunition, but they typically don't buy holsters, right? So if I'm going to get somebody like that, it'd be best if I knew where the weapon was, because it's probably going to be concealed if it's not already in their hand in some gangsta position or whatever, right? Because people that really want to kill you and know how to do it well, right? And I don't mean that don't care about their own lives, right? They hold things very, very differently, position themselves relative to you and all that. So handgun disarm techniques are very, very, very difficult. But anyway, right? So um, two places that they normally carry them. And if you ever come to one of my uh, gun seminars where we're working on disarms and retention and all that, th this is right up front, Right. They're normally carried in the waistband at the front, standard draw, cross draw, but either way, it's in front of the hip pockets, right? Or it's in the pocket of a hoodie, which means it's laying in the in the clothing, 
in the same kind of cross body position that a, that a Shoto or Wakazashi uh, short sword would be laying in. Interesting, huh? Okay. The upside to handguns, though, um, is that you only have to worry about staying away from that hole at the end of one of the tubes, or not one of the tubes, the tube, right? You only have to uh, keep your body parts off of that line, okay? An old Japanese sword was sharpened for a good length, so they didn't have to touch you with the with a spot that was that tiny, right? There, there was... There was more more room for error, so to speak, even though they weren't, uh, you know, and they could cut their way out of a <laughs> out of a hoodie pocket, <laughs> right? Anyway, so but think about this, right? Think about this idea, right? Because there are these there are all these words that have been bandied around. Today I'm picking on traditional. Last week it was it was natural, right? Um, but think about what it is that's going on, right? If Kosei got updated. And even Hatsumi Sensei will do this, right? Uh, well, anymore, he's retired. But um, being in classes where he would go over the uh, the Hanbo and some basic postures, and the classical posture, the grip, right, on a Hanbo in a vertical position is just wrapping your hand around the, the shaft, thumb up, right? Not pointing straight up, but just it's the thumb is up, right? You don't have your hand upside down. So you have it this way. So Munen Muso, Tate, um, yeah, pretty much those, right? So you have you have the, the hand there. But Hatsumi Sensei, who's give or take about my height, right? Uh, maybe a little bit shorter, right? Would place his hand on top of the blunt end like he had a cane. You know, those canes that have little balls on the end or a dragon's head or whatever, right? So not the not the ones with the with the upside down U, right? Like an umbrella handle, right? Um, he would place his hand on top, and he go, "This is a more modern version. I like this one more. Traditional version is this way." And he put his hand down along the shaft, and then he would put it back on top, right? And said he would say, "This is more flexible, all that, right?" But it's not the traditional classical way to do things, right? Well, why not? Right? Anybody that just it's it's kind of like people who just scroll along their phone or their tablet, right, or their their laptop or whatever you're using these days, right, and they're getting their news by just reading uh, headlines, right. They're not bothering to read the article itself, right. Many people, many 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 people, right, get their training and training ideas by watching videos or going to seminars or whatever, right. They could go to Japan. And they listen to a description. Hatsumi Sensei will make references to uh, this idea shows up in uh, Noel plays. This this shows up in Kabuki. This shows up over here. Uh, this particular uh, poet or author, Emerson or Thoreau or uh, whatever, right, wrote about these things, right? And people just, they're like horses to the feed, right? They're just nodding, right? It's just doing their thing, right? And they make mental note. They might write things down, right? But very, very, very few actually go and look up what the hell the man was talking about to understand the full reference instead of just being able to just parrot it back later on. Right. So what gives? I mean, if if putting my hand and this is just one example, if putting my hand at the top of a hanbo on the blunt side. Right. 
Um, James, how tall are you? Six three. Excuse me. <clears throat> Six three. <laughs> okay. So, um, James, what's it like to use a hanbo? Do you have to bend? Do you have to lean over a little bit to put, even put your hand on top of the flat end? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit, right? You have to distort your kumai to even put yeah. your hand on top of the damn stick, let alone hand hold it along the side, right? So, what do we normally do in class? We give you a longer mm. stick because it fits yes. your height, right? Yeah. Okay. But here's the here's the thing. Even if you could put your hand on top of it. If that's the more flexible, better used kind of thing, why the hell didn't warriors, let alone ninja, use that? Why wasn't that the 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 posture or the hand placement, right? Um, of the day, James. I bet you know the answer to this. But why, why wouldn't they do that? Why why putting the hand around the shaft was the model? Because to most people uh, today, what's their answer? Because that's our style, man. That's how it's done. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's how we do it. That's how we roll. Right? No. Anyway, why why wasn't that the model of the day? Enlighten everyone. Uh, I would guess probably because, I mean, it came from you know a full-size staff or halberd, and that's how they would have. I mean, you're not going to, especially if it size they were of that time they weren't going to reach the top of you know i'm sorry i'm leaning up here to, to, to try to hear you i'm getting some really i'm not getting things are very loud and i've got a, a furnace behind me that's that's doing its thing so um one more time just short so after the guess part because i'm i'm gonna guess that it's not a guess but go ahead now it'll that, be louder my furnace stopped <laughs> That they were used to using like long staffs and whatnot, so they, I mean, you're not going to rest your hand on top of one of those, so they would have held it by the shaft. Hmm. So habit. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm glad I didn't bet then, because <laughs> I'd have lost. All right. Let me ask you a different question. What was the average height of a Japanese warrior during the Sengoku Jedi Warring States period? You know four this. 4-2. Two. Two. Imperial system, 4 feet, 2 inches. Oh. Okay? So, how long was the damn Hanbo relative to the height of the average <laughs> Japanese soldier? We know this, right? Because in classes, especially the mixed classes, I'll pull a kid out that's about that height and have them hold a Hanbo, right? And that Hanbo goes to where? Anywhere between chest level and their shoulder, right? Shoulder. So, yes. <laughs> for those of you watching the video, this is what this is what it would look like if they put their hand on top of the the hanbo. Anywhere in between here and here, that wouldn't be natural, right? So they held it where it was most natural, right? We have a problem, okay? Even most Japanese today are taller than four two. I have met some very, very small Japanese people. They are either from way out in the country where they still have very, very traditional diets or they're really elderly, right? But the average height of the Japanese has 
has uh, uh, risen, right? And so here we are in the West, right? And if we look at the technology, right, and and the the, the principles and concepts, and we understand the history, the stuff that's being passed on from Japanese ninja, or what we came to know as ninja to, that's a relatively new name because the word ninja is a relatively new name, right? Into the West, okay, my Canadian friends, my friends from the UK, Australia, here in the States, all that stuff, right? Okay, but where did it come from before that? China, where before that? Along the Silk Road, back Tibet, India, that kind of stuff, right? So got developed all the way through, right? So we're looking at kind of the tail end of things, but people want to get stuck on things. But either way, right? So the hand, traditionally the hand, you know, putting it up on top would have been silly. That had been like you, James, right? Standing next to a six foot staff, which is what, three inches shorter than you are, tall, right? And then putting your hand up on top of it, okay? So it, it made no sense. But in today's world, I'm five six, right? Putting my hand on top of it, even though I can hold hold the the shaft of the the staff without leaning, right? I only have what an inch or so sticking above my hand, okay? So it's it's no big deal to just bring my hand to the top of it, which I prefer as well, right? Hatsumi Sensei prefers that because there's more flexibility in moving the weapon around. So it's updated because of physiology and physique and height and those kind of things, right? To stick to tradition means regardless of your height, I'm talking to everybody that's between my height and James' height, right? Regardless, what you're going to do is go out of your way to contort your torso or to bend your knees and squat as low as you can so that you can hold that staff, that onbo, exactly where the old scrolls say or the shoninki or whatever. And here's here's something that, that, that somebody threw out once because some of us are a little on the heavy side, right? Quoted right out of, I think it was the shoninki, might have been the Bonsen Shukai, but I think it was the shoninki, right? That um, a ninja shouldn't weigh more than like 136 pounds or something like that, right? Or 132 pounds based on the equivalent crossover kind of thing, right? Never more than that. How tall were Ninja again? 4'2". Yeah. That'd be a pretty chunky 12-year-old. <laughs> but at the same time, again, you know, it's... And then, again, what type of Ninja, right? Jonin, Chunin, Gainin, whatever, right? So, again, people like to throw words around, and they like to fantasize, and they like to idealize but it'd be a really good idea if we had had the right reference points. Even Hatsumi Sensei in some of the classes that I've been in in Japan, right? He would stop in the middle of something and go, you know, um, this is what I'm teaching based on what I have, based on what's in the scrolls, based on what I remember Takamasa Sensei teaching me and all that. Um, you know, we're talking about history, but here's the reality. I don't know for sure. None of us can know for sure because we weren't there. Right. All we have to go on is what was written down and what was passed down. Right. But we can never know for sure. And he, he was making that point 
in, in many classes, he was making that point because people kept using the Hatsumi Sensei said, Sensei said, Sensei said, Sensei said. Under what context? Right? And he was teaching based on certain things. But the human ego wants hard, fast, set things. It's just easy. It's easy. Right? But what this art's all about is being flexible and being adaptable and basing things on principles and concepts. Right? Assessing situations, understanding context, those kind of things. Right? So we can come up with the right answer. And this is tied in, and, and I believe why things are very, very connected to the Mikyo um, and even the uh, exoteric uh, Buddhist teachings and all that. Because if we look at the Noble Eightfold Path, the bad translation out of a lot of books, right, is uh, right view or right perspective, right thought, right speech, right action, uh, right uh, effort, right livelihood, that kind of right, 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 which sounds very righteous. It sounds very dogmatic. It sounds very Western Orthodox religion, right? Uh, because you've got the, these are the rules, right? Um, except it's a bad translation. It's not right as in right versus wrong. This is the way we do it versus the way they do it. It's right and appropriate for the given situation. Which means something I do now might be completely wrong and produce the wrong outcome. Same words, same intention, same everything might be completely wrong in a slightly different context. This is what makes it difficult because the lazy mind does not want to do this kind of work. This art is harder to get. Okay. Give me an answer. Give me the fixed thing. I remember having a student once, and he actually made it the fourth degree black belt in spite of himself. Right? Became one of the instructors of the dojo and all that. But when he first started, man, he didn't he didn't want this these principles and concepts and 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 the 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 adaptation and all that. I mean, I remember one time I thought he was going to quit. Right? He said, "Damn, dude, just just tell me where to put my foot." I said, "Okay, right there." Five minutes later, like I've got my foot where you told me to put it, but now I can't move right. You're moving your knees and you, okay, well, that was the right position five minutes ago. What is it now? Okay. He eventually got it, but just like all of us, we have to get over ourselves, right? Because between the academic system, the Western academic system of memorizing and regurgitating the right answers, to get a passing grade and ego's natural tendency to take snapshots of things and then hold on to that as though that's the right answer always. Right. We, we did that coming out of the adolescent years and a lot of people haven't left that behind yet. Right. Cause I don't think they've had enough experiences that punch them in the face hard enough. Right. Where they had to learn to figure things out on the fly. Right. Things work well enough, often enough for me to not have to change. And yet needed to is all about adaptation and change, right? What's the answer today to this problem that looks very similar to lots of other ones I've done, but different people are involved. It's a different time. Uh, my size is different. My age is different. My health, whatever, right? I just 
came back from a hike and I'm worn out, right? So I'm going to jump around like a freaking cat on hot coals. No, I'm freaking exhausted. I can barely move. I wanted to go to bed and now Jack Wagon comes around the corner with a knife and I'm, I'm supposed to pull energy from where, right? So even if the adrenals fire on full bore, I'm only going to be a little bit faster and a little bit stronger than I am right now because my muscles are taxed. I'm, I'm spent, right? So what's the answer, right? Same thing with negotiations, same thing with relationships, you know, uh, parenting, raising one child over another child, right? Uh, it's all, right? It's contextual. So, um, but again, here we are playing with this traditional thing as opposed to, uh, and I'm not talking about modernizing things. Well, I am talking about modernizing things, but I'm not talking about the bullshit that a lot of people are doing where, you know, they, they understand the principles and concept kind of thing, but that became carte blanche to just making up whatever the hell they wanted, right? They just made up their own style of Nijutsu or whatever because, you know, Nijutsu can be whatever. Uh, no, it can't, right? There is a right thing, but it's based on certain key elements, not just whatever, right? So you have these two factions, you got one's doing it traditionally and one's, you know, just making shit up as they go. Um, so anyway. Okay, so be careful with the word traditional. Be careful, okay? And if you don't want me to have a conversation with you about uh, that would quite likely not only bust some fantasies, but have you, like, crying naked in a bathtub, um like a scene in a movie. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Nasty stuff. Anyway, from, from my perspective, right? I mean, in ancient Japan, that was perfectly normal. You know what I'm talking about, right, James? Perfectly normal. <laughs> Here's a gift for you. I hope he's nice enough for you. <laughs> anyway. All right. So that being said, um, Who's on? I, I've seen the numbers go up, the numbers go down. I don't. I didn't see the numbers go sideways, but uh, <laughs> every once in a while I see like a little notification pop up because either Facebook or YouTube or whatever shows me that somebody commented. But who's on? I know I saw Jimmy. I saw his his uh, comment go flying by, but I have no idea what the comment is. What do we got? Yeah, Jimmy's on. Said hi. Jen's on. Julia's on. Perry's on. Who? Perry? Perry. Yeah. Perry Sullivan. He's been yeah. On hey, Perry. Oh, who else we got? Jason Reinhardt. Aaron said hi. They're both on? Well, he commented. He said that Aaron said hi. <laughs> <laughs> they must both be listening at the same time. <laughs> He just happened to, happens to have control of the device. <laughs> okay. Any questions? Any comments? Any you're full of shit comment? I'm I'm cool with those too. Perry we haven't been in a while since we changed the format. This is true. Perry was wondering if you were would be showing techniques. Tonight? Yeah, no, that's not the nature of Kuden. We do that on, I don't even do that on the whiteboard Wednesday. I'm like a football coach drawing things out. So, um, no, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe we need to, 
we've been talking about different formats and stuff. I mean, I'm already tapped out schedule wise. So until I get my, uh, some of my instructor, uh, candidates trained through the current, um, uh, the current, what the hell is this? The current group for the instructor training program, right? Until I get them into, into staff positions, uh, and I can delegate some of these things that I do that's just eating up a lot of my time, um, I can't, I can't add anything else with, uh, with, uh, course and technique to things, but, um, we do have the, uh, the Friday virtual class that we do, um, that is a springboard off of our Warriors whiteboard Wednesday, uh, thing that we do, right? 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, so we do that on Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and we're looking at putting together um, uh, kind of a package where people can either do a monthly thing to get um, all the recordings or the they can be on live and ask questions. I mean, that's the upside to to being on the things, right, being on the virtual things. Excuse me. Um, uh, doing those, and those classes are like $4.99 U.S., um, that is the absolute cheapest you're going to get me <laughs> for an hour and a half. 75, what is it? There's 75 to 90 minute classes, right? So, um, we do those once a week. We're looking at putting together a package for that. And, uh, we also do one on Tuesdays, but right now the only people that have access to that are my, uh, Shinobi Kai people and my inner circle long distance, uh, students, but we're looking to add that in as well. So, uh, if you're interested in those. Now, that being said, um, we are, uh, one of my guys, my, uh, Drew, my social media guy, uh, is the next phase. Now we've got a bunch of these other things in place. We're going to be loading up, um, lessons, like these video lessons, these little snippets. Uh, so we're going to pull lessons from, uh, camps and, and all these things, right? And then load them up so that they go out, um, uh, so that people have them. So there, there are some freebie things, but um, I do a lot in the way of free, just obviously not enough for some people. So, but anyway, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is a podcast, right? I mean, I just happen to record these things live. So folks that can be on live can get questions answered or whatever, but uh, these things end up going on to, um, all the podcast services. I mean, we're on Spotify. We're on, uh, what is it now? Apple podcast, Stitcher radio, blueberry. Yeah. How many, how many are we on? Hundreds. How many? <laughs> I don't even know. Count wise oh, anymore. Yeah, you said 150. <laughs> There's a, I, there are friggin' podcast directories that I have never heard of that we're on. Um, but it's, it's impossible to do this with like showing techniques. Um, in Kuden because um, 95% of the people that would be listening to the podcast wouldn't, wouldn't get it. Right. So uh, yes, we're doing these things. Uh, we just happen to be, I mean, I could be recording this through our other service uh, instant teleseminar, like I do uh, our uh, weekly coaching calls with my, uh, with my long distance guys. We have a Friday evening, Eastern time. We have a Friday evening group that meets. We have a, Tuesday more, uh, sorry, Friday morning group that meets, you know, different matches, different time zones, different work schedules, 
whatever. There's just different groups. I have, a, I have one tier in my online training where they get both, but those are all calls, right? Those are all, um, audio only anyway. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it, w- it really wouldn't match out well. Um, the Warriors whiteboard Wednesday at the moment, uh, that literally is a whiteboard kind of thing, right? Um, and I've got more than enough, uh, in the way of video, previous camps, seminars, just on the, speaking of instant teleseminar, just on that side, what's our number up to now? It's probably right about 1400. That's classes, not hours. Yes. Yeah. And the average hour time or time for those lessons is what? 90 minutes. That's the average. Yes. Some are shorter, average, about an yes. hour. Some are, <laughs> some are two and a half, <laughs> three hours long. <laughs> yeah. Right. So maybe the average is more than an hour and a half. But, uh, yeah, so we have almost 1400 of those recordings. Um, and then we have all these camps. I've been doing camps since, well, we've been recording, video recording the camps since, was it spring or fall of 2004? Because we only got one in that year. So since then, there's been two or three a year. And I'm, I'm just adjusting for we've had technology glitches at certain points or uh, things came up like COVID, stuff like that, where we didn't do more than one or didn't do any. Right. So um, but there's those and those are 12 to 18 hour uh, seminars and we shoot all, almost all of it. Right. And then uh, make the raw video recordings available. So people have to watch other people move around and train. Of course, you can always skip past it. But if I don't have to pay for somebody to edit the stuff, right, um, then we can keep the price down and you can get more you can get more lessons because I'm giving little tips and hints and stuff like that um, to people instead of just, you know, here's preset stuff. We're going to take 18 hours and trim it down to what an hour to three hours based on what most people put out for, for finished seminars. Anyway, so we, we, we have a couple of hours worth of, worth of stuff, right? So, yeah, so I'm, I, I don't demonstrate techniques during these. Kuden, the very purpose of Kuden is a teacher student conversation for the student to get things that aren't, um, that are contextual to the student that are like on the teacher's mind at the moment. Um, that's not written down in a scroll or whatever. It's, it's taking the, the lessons, the essence of things, the kotsu, uh, those kind of things, and then communicating them in a way so that the student has even more to work with, right? And, and more of a connection kind of thing. That's the idea behind the idea of kuden anyway, void transmission, right? It's not a scroll thing. It's not a technique thing. Um, as we all, as I often say, since they said a lot of my teachers have, have used these words, the thing that we're working on is not a self-defense technique, but it has everything to do with self-defense. The thing that we're working on is not a mastery technique, but it has everything to do with mastery. Right. And that's the, that's the idea behind kuden. All right, James, what else we got? Uh, Perry also asked, Ninja has updated itself. How would it be updated things today? Any type of ground fighting that you have seen where they are similar with BJJ of today? Um, hmm. 
I don't know that it needs to be updated to BJJ. There's a huge difference between the Jutaijutsu and the ground things that were done, Tagagi Yoshin, Shinden Fudo, those kind of things, because there's restraints. I mean, we have we have ground things. If you if you have Hatsumi Sensei's book on stick fighting that he co-wrote with Quentin Chambers way back in the day, right at the back end of that book, there's restraints. Now, those are using Hanbo, but you could just easily use your leg or whatever, right? You can use an, a, his friend's leg or arm or whatever, right? Um, uh, the difference, and, and this is where, again, maybe we're not using the word traditional versus modernization. Maybe we're using um, sport context, rule-laden sport context, not that those people aren't skilled, versus street survival, back alley, whatever, right? So uh, uh, one of the big differences between when I learned uh, uh, jiu a long time ago when we did, you know, ground pins and all that, and it was in a sport context, right? Besides the fact that there was a ref that could break it up or you could tap out or whatever. Can you imagine tapping out in an alley? Can you imagine, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Okay. So, so, so you give up? Great. Now you give up. Um, but there was a, there's a huge difference between the locks and restraints that I see and the ones that we have in the, like, again, Tagagi Ocean, Shinden Fudo, those kind of things where, um, you would never lock yourself in with another person so that neither of you could get up easily in all the restraints that we have on the ground with our legs, arms, whatever, you're easily able to get out in one move, right? He's locked and restrained and can't get out easily, but you can, right? So, um, and actually Hatsumi Sate taught on this stuff a long, long time, not a long time, but over the years, right? He mentioned, right? Of course, explore these other things, right? Just make sure that um, you're, it's a type of compartmentalization. Just understand that when you're doing that thing, that's what you're doing, right? When you're doing, I don't care what it is, right? Shirinji Kempo, whatever, right? And here's a difference, too. In a lot of Japanese martial arts, in a lot of martial arts just anywhere, right? It's taboo to be training in something else. The number of students that I've gotten over the years that came in because, and they trained with other teachers, uh, not necessarily in Ninjutsu or in Bujinkan, but in other martial arts, right? They were really, really interested. The conversation went well. I would always say, I'm not here to steal anybody's students, whatever. Um, is it just make sure it's okay with your teacher because I don't want you to run into something weird, sticky, whatever, right? There. Because I don't care, right? I, I highly recommend that people um, explore other things, right? So uh, obviously the things that, that fit, you know, you're going to use those things that are going to force you outside of um, principles and concepts that are proven, right? Not just a win. This is not about winning, right? It's not about winning. This is about surviving, right? So there's a lot of things that you can do in a sport martial arts context that will get your ass thrown in jail on the street, okay? Win or no win, survive or no survive, okay? You just, it, 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 it goes beyond the self-defense doctrine. So you lose whatever protections. Okay? Not saying that you shouldn't do them, right? But just you better, you're, you better be able to disappear in a crowd 
and nobody knows who you are, where you live or whatever, um, because either the gangs or the cops, right, are going to hunt you down and life is going to change. And then Bubba is going to have a new girlfriend. Right. So you got to you got to be really, really clear about this stuff. So th- this is a big thing that's going on because people train cross train in these other these other arts. And that's fine. Cross train in those arts. Just don't delude yourself into believing that that thing meshes well with this. What Hatsumisa says is always called true Budo, right? Everything from the philosophy to the ideology to the principles and concepts that make this what it is. And this is not a one style against another style kind of thing. Because I've trained in other things and I've explored other things, whether it's through video or live teachers. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and there are things that I look at and go, well, that's that same principles and concepts, right? Whether it's Pauly Zink and his drunken monkey kung fu or uh, Paul Vunak and his uh, Jeet Kune Do, his, you know, his way of teaching things and all that, that, that all fits. I mean, of course, right? I can do that because it's just a variation of this thing over here, right? That thing over there, that's a complete contradiction, which means now I have to be able to switch gears in an actual situation. So Hatsumi Sensei has always said, you know, of course you want to explore these things and you can even train and do these things, right? Just make sure that you're clear about this budo, right? Actual real combat and why we do what we do the way we do it and the context that this is coming from, right? There's a lot of things that, you know, a lot of karate styles, right? That were born out of a Zen mentality, right? So way back in the day when they were karate jutsu, right? Probably had a lot of validity, but they also probably had a lot of grappling and throws and all that that you won't find today unless you tag something else onto it, right? Um, but they were born out of what you're looking at and what you're experiencing today was born out of a Zen mentality where the movement is more about a moving meditation, right? Especially these ones where uh, maybe you've seen these things where as a part of the kata, right? Your focus isn't out on some imaginary attacker. It's on the moving hand or it's on the kick that you're doing or whatever. Your mind is on this thing, right? James, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where your mind is on the the tip of your fingers or whatever, right? That's meditation, right? That's not where your head belongs when somebody's trying to beat, break, or kill you, right? And again, what's the motivation in the practice that you're doing? So again, I'm not, this isn't about one thing over another. This is about, this is about understanding that and understanding Budo, understanding martial ways, understanding one is training for contact, uh, con, um, survival, conflict resolution, um, being okay when the fucking world is falling apart kind of thing. And another one, you know, it's about fair fights and teaming up and whatever. And I'm not saying that, that those people can't, can't defend themselves. That people often degrade it to, Oh, now what you're saying is this sucks, man. And, and like, I can't like, you know, defend myself. And that's not what I said at all. Okay, I often make this reference to high school wrestlers, 
I would never say that they can't defend themselves either. But what they're doing was not designed for that, right? It's it's a different context. It looks similar, but it's not the same. Can you extrapolate things from BJJ? Absolutely. Okay. My question, and and you should have things for when you go to the ground. Okay. But Taijutsu already has that stuff in it. Nijutsu already has that stuff in it. Okay. The ground fighting stuff and it not being there is like when people say you need to go to other sword schools to learn sword drawing and cutting because we'll teach that in the Bujinkan. And that's the biggest pile of horse shit that exists, right? Because the first time you learned how to do uh, Ichimon, Gyoko Yu Ichimon no Kamai, not Koto Yuseigan, Kukishinden, Katate Hicho, uh, the conventional or the, the generic Ichimonji, uh, that's just a general con- a conceptual kind of thing. Not that, right? Gyokoryu Ichimonji no Kamai. You learned how to wear a sword. You learned how to draw a sword. All that kind of stuff, right? So um, is it there? Yeah, it's there, right? It's in the Jutaijutsu stuff. Jutaijutsu was the precursor to not just Jujitsu and those kind of things, but also soft style karate, right? Um, but but the reasonings for it are different, right? A lot of those things, it wasn't about getting knocked to the ground. That was a what-if situation, okay? Or wrestling somebody to the ground. When you go to the ground, most of the principles and concepts for fighting, right, just get inverted. They're, they're 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Okay? You no longer have to worry about balance breaking or balance breaking becomes at best 20% of the entire fight. And that's only if somebody's upright trying to straddle you. Okay? How do you break somebody's balance? You, you don't have to worry about it. But you, So when I'm on the ground, I don't have to worry about maintaining my balance. But you know what? He doesn't have to worry about breaking it. He already has me on the ground. So now everything is neutralized and we go right back to strength on strength. Right. So I have to understand how to how how to the only word that pops into my head at the moment is realign, realign the concepts. Right. Because ground fighting. Based on what we're talking about, right, with with nipple Tajutsu and Taisabaki and all this kind of stuff. Right. The principle is 180 degrees in the opposite direction from standing. Right. But often what people end up doing is they end up going out and grabbing something and tacking it on because they think it's missing. Well, they think it's missing because they haven't experienced it because either their teacher didn't know or that of, because of the YouTube videos that they keep watching or the courses that they bought or whatever. Right. Um, the problem that most of us have with ground fighting isn't the techniques. The problem that most of us have with folks that want to go to the ground right away is one, they bought into the marketing, right? That all fights go to the ground. I was a cop for seven years. Did I've done bodyguarding work. I've done all kinds of things. I was in all kinds of scrapes growing up. They weren't usually scrapes. They were just some asshole jumping on me or beating me up after school. Those fights went to the ground. Well, I went to the ground. They stood above me, kicking my ribs and my head and my spine and, uh, you know, stomping on me and leaving one time, leaving me for dead in a freaking uh, uh, snow pile. Right. 
barely part of me sticking out of it. Um, but the, the big problem is, is the lack of recognition that while you're tied up with somebody on the ground, you could be winning and his friend or somebody else can come up and shoot you in the head, stab you in the kidneys, stomp you into the ground or whatever. Right. There's little to no consideration about anything outside of me and this guy. Right. So the context here is always worst possible scenario. This is not a contest. It's not a contest. Most of us involved in Budo mentality is I don't get involved in those kind of contests. Kick your ass if you don't like give up your girlfriend. Well, one, my girlfriend's not going with you. Two, I'm going to have her leave. I don't want any problems. Here's five bucks. Buy yourself a beer. Right. But this is not about my girlfriend because of my girlfriend. You get the idea, right? My girlfriend's my wife. Makes for a much longer lasting relationship. <laughs> <laughs> we just celebrated 14 years yesterday. 15 well, together. Yeah. Awesome. She's still my girlfriend. <laughs> And my wife is more likely to look at somebody and go, my husband is, and he'll kick your ass. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Right. So, um, you know. Anyway, that probably sounded like I danced around a whole bunch of stuff, but there's nothing wrong with learning those things. Modernizing things. The very first thing with modernizing things is recognizing what the threat looks like today. How do people punch today? What are the, all, all the different ways? And I don't mean you always start with probabilities. Possibilities can come in later, right? Well, anything's possible. Well, no shit, right? It's possible that one of my legs could fall off for some of, on a, no idea why, right? I mean, anything's possible, right? Gravity could suddenly switch off tomorrow and we all find ourselves floating out in outer space and imploding, right? You start with probabilities. So what are you most likely to start with today? Right. Um, and what shape, what environment, those kind of things. Right. That's what I'm talking about by starting by modernizing things. Right. So um, do my students learn how to defend or, you know, they're not really learning how to defend against a ski. They think they are. Right. But we start them off with that kind of a punch in the very beginning, because one, the idea of body weight behind a punch is alien. Most people are just used to throwing arms, right? Throwing, throwing legs, kicking, flailing, whatever, right? I call it caveman fighting. And two, it's a bigger thing. It's a bigger attack. And it's a straight line. It's a given reference point that they can work on. Yeah, but what about jabs? Well, my beginners don't have to worry about jabs because we teach them how to start at a, at a specific distance and maintain that distance, which neutralizes the possibility of a jab landing. Yeah, but what if it that's we can't throw everything at a white belt. So we don't even start looking at jabs until what? Mod three, something like that. Right. Which is about halfway to black belt. Right. And that's just in case the guy rushes you and you can't reestablish re distance with rolling or leaping or get something between he and you or 
stab him in the eyes or remember that you can spit at him and that'll cause him to back off or whatever. Right. So, um, you know, but just as, as long as what you're, what you're doing, you're learning from and you can add it to your toolkit and you're not trying to spackle a perceived hole with something that may or may not hold for very long. My Buddhist teacher used to say that, um, when you come up with an expedient, right, it, it needs to serve the purpose for the moment effectively, right? But you have to also recognize that it's an expedient. Because if you don't, it, it, it's like throwing a jello mold against the wall. And I don't mean the pan. I mean the jello that, you, that came out of it, right? You nail it to the wall as a decoration and hope that it stays. Maybe you'll like the stain that ends up on the wall after it falls off, right? So, um, anyway, but the people run it. There, there's this con, I'm going to use the word, uh, the term conventional wisdom, which is bullshit, but there's this social veneer. I mean, every culture, wherever you live, right? Whatever your neighborhood is or whatever, right? You were born into that. Or you moved into it, and over time, you assimilated into the board, so to speak, right? And that that becomes the normal, but that doesn't mean that it's functional more than an expedient outside of that realm. An example of that is um, soldiers that ended up in Vietnam or in Korea that were trained by... Uh, uh, training officers in basic training or in combat training or whatever prior to going who themselves came out of World War II or out of into, yeah, into Korea that came, might have come out of World War I, World War II, whatever, right? Um, where they learned, um, uh, no offense to my friends from the UK, British commando, uh, tactics, uh, with knife fighting. Okay. Where the edge, Right. Of the of the bayonet or the K bar or whatever, the edge of the knife was in at the forearm. Right. Because they were looking at piercing. And and so pretty much when you had a knife in a reverse grip, it was this hacking kind of thing. Right. It wasn't I mean, you could bring it sideways this way and cut or whatever, but it was always in here. Right. So all the defenses that they learned were against that kind of knife position. And then they go fight in Asia and they're getting hacked to pieces because their defenses don't work. And the defenses don't work because the Asians hold their knife in a reverse grip, edge out. So now you can stab and slash. Right. Um, you know, if you, just understanding those little pieces. Right. You can cross over into other into other realms. Um, I still throw people off as much as I got thrown off when Hatsumi since they showed how a ninja holds a knife in a foregrip. Right. I know I said I wouldn't do visuals. Some of you guys are most of you guys are are on uh, audio only, but I'm pulling out a knife here that I have on my desk because I have blades all over the place. It's a gift from my wife. And so anyway, um, so most people understand holding the, the, the knife with the single edge knives. We preferred single edge. I know this one has a little hook on it and all that, but she chose it. She thought it looked dangerous. 
and it is, it's very, very sharp, but, um, it's not a designer style that I would choose. Um, but anyway, right. So we're holding it so that the, it's single edge. So the edge is down, right. And the tip is, is forward, right. So we have nine directional cutting or nine cutting directions, right. So we have the cardinal directions left to right, right to left, um, down, downward, right. Vertically. Upward, right? When we do upward, you almost have, almost have to rotate the knife in your hand, right? Because turning your hand over to get a, an exact bottom to top vertical can cause you to have to contort your body, right? Then you have your diagonals, left to, uh, top left to bottom right, right? You get the idea, right? And then ascending diagonals and then stabbing, right? So nine directions. Ultimately, that turns into infinite directions, but these are your your bases to start, right? So it's, it, this is the normal, right? Actually normal is people put their, the, for those of you on the video, see how there's this contour right here, right? It's because most people will hold the knife like a steak knife. The problem with this is it can, there's too much space here. We want them as much flesh to weapon as possible, contact as possible. So it, it can't be knocked out of there, right? But anyway, you have this, okay? The problem with this is not only rotating the weapon and having fine motor acuity when your life is being threatened, which is almost impossible, right? You have to roll this thing over to do a vertical upward cut, right? But a downward cut, you, you can make contact with the face and maybe like jaw, maybe upper chest, but because your arm arcs, you lose contact with the body, right? So you have a very small cutting area. Cutting up, right? You, you can go straight up. Cutting down is much more difficult, right? So that's almost a non sequitur kind of thing, unless you're, you're going after an arm or something like that that happens to be high. So what happens since I showed, and again, I'm, I'm doing this for the video guys. I'll describe it for the audio only people, right? Um, Ninja hold a knife what looks like upside down, which again, my wife got me this knife. I hate knives that have these finger contours because now you're almost forced to use it this way because it doesn't work well upside down, right? And God help you if you get the ones that have the contours and the, the brass knuckle kind of things because just because something looks deadly and it might be, right? What I'm looking for is flexibility and adaptability to the given situation that I'm in. So when I choose tools, they're chosen based on that, not based on how deadly they look. Anything's deadly, right? If you can drown in a freaking inch of water in your bathtub, right, choke on a postage stamp and die, right? But edge up because now I don't have to worry about contorting my body to do an upward cut. And for downward cuts, you just you don't have that many targets to go after. And the ones on the face and stuff like that, the skull is really, really hard. The skin's really thin, right? You can make somebody bleed, but you're not accessing anything really, really dangerous or to, to them, right? So I would rather be able to smack them with the, with the spine of the, with the knife to debilitate things, to open things up and then be able to come back in for things, right? So we can go anyway. So 
but there's there's grip change positions and and all that. And Hatsumi Sensei has said over and over again, and I think I don't know if we shared the post not too long ago, but there's a quote floating around out there from one of Hatsumi Sensei's books. But it does also come from classes, right? Um, Self defense is about survival, and if you're going to be able to win, you must be able to use weapons. You must know how to use weapons. Okay, so just think about the context, right? Okay. We can we can pull a chunk out and focus on that, but can you use that same skill against somebody who's two and a half times your size from the ground or pinned into a corner or folded over a you know the hood of a car or whatever, right? So, what else, James? I saw Greg Beerley pop something in there. I don't see that one. Mm. The uh, Brian and Mandy sent a question. Could you address the mindset of I just stab or shoot those nasty BJJ guys? <clears throat> Seems like a cop out to not get the training needed to deal with those situations. And a bit ridiculous. Does everything, does everyone get killed because we don't know how to deal with it? Hmm. Not sure how you want me to deal with that, um, because the law does allow me to use deadly force if I truly believe that I'm going to be maimed or worse by the person who attacks me. And again, we're talking about context, right? If I'm attacked by somebody who is an MMA or a UFC or BJJ practitioner, if I'm being attacked, it's a completely different paradigm. And I will use a completely different skill set. I'm not boxing a boxer and I'm not wrestling a wrestler. That's a primary principle in Ninjutsu. It's just not. I understand where the question's coming from and I understand what you're talking about. And I do believe that people need to know grappling and ground fighting things should you end up in that situation. But I'm not putting myself into a situation against somebody who that that's their thing. Not. That's not needed to. We're talking about two completely different things. Okay. So now, if I've agreed to get into a little match with a BJJ guy, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about one one of my guys got into um, helping somebody train. <laughs> Didn't last very long, but, and it's not about beating his butt or anything like that, right? It just, anyway. So, um, if I do agree to that, then, then I agree to do that thing. But the key, the operative word here is attacked, right? Um, quick story, and this turned into something really, really stupid right back and forth kind of forums because people's buttons get pushed right if people's get typically what ends up happening is we or somebody has a discussion about handling a certain type of fighter certain type of practitioner or whatever right we should be able to handle a boxer that doesn't mean that we're going to box the boxer we should be able to handle an mma or bjj practitioner that doesn't mean that we're going to do things the same way they are we should because we're not talking about a contest. Right? If you want a contest, stay in that world. 
I'm talking about surviving against somebody who has a certain skill set and is trying to hurt me, not win a contest. These are two completely different conversations, right? So um, we need to be able to handle different types of fighters. But inevitably what happens is we're talking about how to beat, how to survive against, how to, whatever, a certain type of fighter, and everybody that's gravitated to that or put all their eggs in one basket and that's their favorite or that's their whatever, ego doesn't like that. And then ego will flare, and then the next thing you know, you got this back and forth bullshit argument or fight. Okay? And what it really is, is ego trying to protect its home ground, right? Because it can't be wrong. It's not about being right or wrong, it's about context. If we're talking about an attack, I am not going to box a boxer, and I am not going to. to wrestle or fight a BJJ guy, you know that long list of freaking rules that you can't do in one of those contests? I'm starting at number one and working my way down the list until I get to one that works. But you can't. There are no rules. No. Self-defense is about survival. I'm not talking fighting. From the context that most people are talking about, it's not the same. It's not the same. And anybody that ever thinks it's the same, then you better have really good negotiation skills to get that thug on the street to drop the knife or the gun because you want to do it your way. Okay, with different context. Not saying there's anything wrong with any of these other fight things. Nothing wrong with any of these other styles. They were all designed for winning. But don't forget the context. One of the first things I learned in this art is you don't wrestle a wrestler and you don't box a boxer and you don't kick a kicker and you you learn strategies for handling those things which are usually counter to those things. Right? I mean, how many Taekwondo people have learned to punch the incoming leg or to cause it to miss and then use some leverage or whatever to uh, to cause them to lose their balance and then whatever. How many have been taught to uh, drop under the kicking leg and tackle the base leg? Not many because Taekwondo was designed, uh, came out of the 50s, right? Jun Ri, right? this Korean practitioner, brings this stuff to the U.S., right? 1955, give or take, right? When he introduced it, by the time it hit the 70s, it was... Uh, gaining popularity, right? Um, Taekwondo. I lived in Korea. I was in the in the military. I was in the army. I was there for a year, right? Taekwondo was the physical education program in well, at least it was then in Korean high schools. Judo was designed as that in Japan. Right? I don't care what people argue about, right? I've seen letters from Jutaro Kano, the guy that created it to his students, specifically saying, not self-defense, not fight style. Okay, So it's context. This keeps going back to context. Okay, Anyway, quick story. I had this guy, um, 6'5", right? Wanted, wanted to do some sparring. And, and uh, his introduction, introduction to sparring 
with uh, myself and one of my other uh, guys, Shidoshi Whistler, pretty much worked out the same way, right? Um, <laughs> we we didn't start with gloves. We were just going to do some evasion and all that. And I said, you know, uh, uh, base part right here is I'm just not going to let you move in. Excuse me. Well, he has a smug look because he's six five and three hundred seventy five pounds. And here's me, 5'6", and even though I'm overweight, um, he still is two and a half to three times my size. So every time he got within range, he got hit, but he couldn't hit me. But range had nothing to do with the weapons or the targets that most people think of. Right? Range had to do with his limbs that most people don't think about when they're fighting, right? They're not, they don't think about these because these are the weapons, right? So not guarding their weapons, they're guarding everything else. So every time he got close enough, he got knuckles to the bones of the back of the hand of the fingers. And then he couldn't get close enough without getting something potentially broken, right? So first lesson, that's another thing that kept Tim around because Tim came from fighter mentality to this and... Everything changed. Not that now Tim is off doing uh, jujitsu competitions and things like that because his personality still needed that, and he does. But he doesn't. He doesn't confuse the two, right? So, but anyway, Tim had a chance to. Um, he met somebody who was a six don in something, and he was prepping for a match, and. They agreed to have a little sparring match, right? Well, Tim was doing the same thing. Now they had gloves on, right? But what Tim was doing was using distancing and all that. And every time a punch came out, Tim would get out of the way and whack something, right? Um, so the guy ended up, you know, repositioning so he didn't get whacked, right? Um, but it didn't last for very long. After about 10, 15 minutes, um, the guy decided that he was done. Because he couldn't get a shot in. And Tim said, that's the point. He goes, no, no, no. In a, in a ring, right, you get, you get points against you if you don't fight, if you don't engage. And Tim said, I understand. But I'm training for self-defense, and you're training to score points. I'm not letting you hit me. Okay? So I don't have the same problem. Right? So in needed to, here's, in, in needed to, your job is to get them to fight you your way, not for you to fight them their way. Because they're already good that way. Right? You gotta get them to step outside. Not outside the bar. Outside their paradigm. Outside their training bubble. Outside their, their strengths. Right? There's all kinds of ways to do that. So, uh, Tim was just using evasion and, and, you know, Taisabaki and, and things like that. And it just frustrated the guy because he couldn't get a shot in, so he was done, right? Because um, it didn't it didn't fit, right? Um, but what he was used to was somebody fighting the exact same way. All of his tactics and all of his strategies were based on somebody doing the same thing. It's really really difficult to hit somebody who's not fighting the same way. Just like it's difficult to have a have an argument with somebody who's not arguing. They're not even speaking. See, now you don't have an argument. What you have is a lunatic yelling and screaming and everybody feeling sorry for the person who's 
looks like the brunt of that. Okay. It's, it's, it's not the same. Okay. So should we be trained to handle those types of techniques? Yes. That doesn't mean we have to fight that way. And if I do fight that way, it's because he's not good at that. Sneaky ninja bastards. That's what we are. Okay. All right. What else we got, James? Anything else? Any other no other questions. Just uh, uh <clears throat> hello. I'm here from Sunday McLaurin and Richard Demio says hey. I think he's been hey. in on some of those. <laughs> and Chris, thanks for covering class for me tonight. I appreciate it. My wife had a major head cold and she still has it. And she helped to pass it along, and I want to make sure I'm not passing cooties on to anybody. So, <clears throat> anyway, is that it? Is that all we got? That is it. Yes, sir. Fantastic. All right. Um, not sure what I'm covering next week. Um, I probably should. You know what? Do I have the schedule right here? If I have it, I'll tell you. Something's in the way on my screen here. What do I have? That's Whiteboard Wednesday. Whiteboard Wednesday, we are covering... What am I doing on Whiteboard Wednesday? I just I just put the stuff up. Um, rhythm. Mitsudo, three types of rhythm. Uh, which normally translates as rhythm, but it's three types of timing, um, three forms of timing that uh, I expect from my uh, actually lower level black belts. Right? They need to be good with this by Nidon, by second degree, because everything else grows off of this. Right. So that's that's Wednesday. And then Friday's virtual class will be uh, doing, uh, obviously, uh, Nimble Taijutsu based on those things, um, looking at how to match timing, break timing, uh, <clears throat> all kinds of things. Right. And let's see. Oh, I just lost that. Maybe I have it. Let's see what I have for Kudan. Where? Recent, how about that? Kuden podcast topic schedule. Let's see. Ah, okay. So next Monday, I'm going to be talking about why I chose the Japanese master teachers that I did. I mean, I just talked to me sensei, and I'm with, there are all these daishihan, and they have been for years, but there were certain Japanese teachers that I gravitated to, and it was because of what their each of their primary focuses were, right? So Hazumi Sensei was a given, right? But I also trained with uh, Shrey Sensei, Nagato Sensei, who's now Asoke, right? Uh, Seno Sensei, who's unfortunately passed away um, last year, year before, he had cancer. Uh, and Isuka Sensei, um, who people don't train with for very long unless they're okay with hearing no a lot and feeling some of the most excruciating pain that I've ever felt since Oguri Sensei, who also passed away. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's what we were talking about, why I chose them. Um, and it had to do with, uh, here's, here's the filling in the gaps, right? So I didn't, I didn't go to other martial arts to fill in and spackle the gaps. Um, I went to teachers that um, their primary, each of them, had a primary focus that covered a certain um, 
certain area of the training. And since they were a specialist at that particular concept or principle, uh, not that they didn't do the other ones, but we'll, that's what this one we'll talk about next week. Right. So anyway. All right. Uh, I think that's it. So hopefully we'll see folks on Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. So check your time zone converter if you have to. Uh, when I do whiteboard Wednesday, I'm going to be covering Bitsudo, this idea of rhythm and timing. Excuse me. Um, and hopefully we'll see some folks on, on the Friday virtual call. Last week we had, I think we had the most on last Friday or that signed up for it than, uh, that we've uh, had in a long, long time. So hopefully we'll see folks on. And if not, uh, don't forget spring camp, May 13th, 14th and 15th. Uh, we're going to be going into the, to this, uh, mental stuff. I'll give you a hint, right? We'll get on a hint. Here's one of the things we're going to work on, right? Um, most people, when they're doing their techniques, mentally disengage from the encounter as their partner is falling to the floor. And that is about three seconds too soon. Others don't have their head in the right place the whole way through the technique. They're focusing on their moves. And that's okay if you're a beginner, right? But there's these different different things, right? So um, that's that's just an example of one of the things I'm going to be uh, going into. Uh, so lots of taijutsu, lots of techniques and all that, but the techniques are the the vehicle by which we'll be working on the the head game, so to speak, right? So hopefully folks will be able to make it. Don't forget there's a virtual option. So if you can't or won't, right, leave your house, leave your hometown, leave your state of confusion, whatever it is, right? You can always sign up for that. And even if you can't make it for it, the whole damn thing is recorded. So uh, you'll end up having it anyway. So uh, if you've got a work schedule, right, you could come in later after work, watch the stuff that was recorded, email some questions that I'll cover as long as you're within the context of camp. Right. Um, and that's that's the big thing with showing up for these live virtual things on Friday um, or, you know, being on camps virtually or live or whatever is you get somebody looking at your stuff, right? Unless ego absolutely doesn't like to be told no. And it wants to just assume that it's God, uh, in which case you don't need a teacher anyway. So start your own classes, start your own podcast, do, do your own thing. Right. Uh, I think that's it. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. And I will talk to everybody again next time. James, are we good? Everything's, nobody's, nothing lingering? Okay, awesome. I'll talk to everybody again next time on Kuden. Get more of Kuden Radio. Subscribe to your favorite podcasting site or subscribe at modernninjawarrior.com.